You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. But hopefully we're going to see tonight that Halloween is not harmless at all. It's actually the opposite of that. And we might see Halloween as a sort of a harmless event where you get dressed up, have a bit of fun, eat a lot of lollies, sort of similar to Christmas or whatever other festival that you use as an excuse to overindulge yourself in sugar. But yes, although Halloween has become an overly commercialised, Americanized um, form of celebration, um, and I have no problem with having a bit of fun getting dressed up even, or even eating lollies for that matter. But the Bible does have something to say about the reason this event exists. And according to a very reputable website, Halloween is the second biggest commercial holiday in America. So it's not probably as big here in Australia, but it is getting bigger. And millions, obviously, celebrate this holiday. But probably not really understanding its origins because they are somewhat obscure and have been lost through the centuries that Halloween has been celebrated. So obviously some will celebrate Halloween with the fun aspect, but there are some that still take the fundamentals of Halloween quite seriously. And on the surface, Halloween has to do with the superstition of death which is why we've got a skull on the screen there, and you probably know if you're going to dress up, you're going to dress up as a skeleton or something, you know, scary, um, something to do with death or something that might kill you or something like that. So some, everyone sort of has some sort of idea of what Halloween is about. Um, now, the origins of Halloween can be traced a long way back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samarin. And that's actually not how you pronounce it. You pronounce it Savan or something like that. Um, and apparently the, the neo-pagans, because it was a pagan festival, and a pagan is someone who believes in multiple gods, um, they pronounced it Soin or uh, Awin. There's a lot of different pronunciations. Obviously, I don't speak Celtic, but that's uh, the gist of it. Now, this word is derived from Sam, which means summer, and fuin, which means end. So put those two words together in the opposite order, and it means the end of summer, or the end of the warm season, the end of the growing season. So about 2,000 years ago, they can date it back to, where the Celts lived in areas now would be classed as island, um, and in the northern, uh, northern France um, and in Germany. And they celebrated this festival at the end of summer, on the 1st of November each year. And this day signified, as we said, the end of summer, the end of harvest, and the beginning of dark, cold, and often fatal winter. So they wanted to celebrate that um, before you know, they caught the plague or something. So the Celts believed that during this transition into the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the worlds of the dead sort of intermingled. 
And they began this sort of series of celebrations because it happened over a few days on October 31st to ease themselves into this transition. And during these festivals, they would often light bonfires. And someone was telling me this morning that some of the traditions related to these bonfires uh, also involved uh, animal sacrifice and human sacrifice. And that's actually where the word bonfire comes from, actually bone fire. Because at the end of these big fires that they'd make, all the bones would be lesser, obviously. So that's where bonfire comes from. So there you go, you've learnt two things tonight. So these bonfires, everyone would gather around... um, they would burn certain things, often, yeah, it was um, livestock or even children, uh, crops as offerings to the Celtic deities to ask for protection during the coming, coming cold season. And when these uh, celebrations were over, they relit their fires in their house with the ashes that they'd collect from these bonfires because they were sacred. And they were obviously quite superstitious. And during these bonfires, uh, they would chant things, they would say prayers, they would um, say things to try to help them be protected during these long, cold months that were coming. And often part of these traditional uh, uh, um, chants that they would chant would be consulting the dead. And this is where... Halloween gets a bit dark because they believe that during this transition from summer into winter, the distance between where the dead were and where the living were became closer and they could consult the dead. Um, They could consult them about, you know, problems that they were having in life. They could seek advice from these elders of the past. They could seek for comfort and direction. Um, for prophecies and for, you know, yeah, fortune-telling. And, as I said, these times were quite superstitious. They believed in ghosts, they believed in spirits, and uh, these fires and the costumes that they wore as well during these times were to help ward off the spirits that might come during those cold winter months. So, yeah, they dressed up with animal heads or um, things that could basically disguise themselves as well from these spirits that might come in from the underworld. And they also set out bowls of food to appease the ghosts or these spirits from entering their homes. And obviously that's um, the starting of the trick-or-treating tradition. So this festival continued down through the centuries. And by the time uh, we come to the Roman times, about AD 43 it's said, Um, The Romans had taken control of those Celtic areas of um, England and Ireland and northern Germany. And this festival morphed into the the Roman uh, way of celebrating this time of the year. And so there began to be two festivals um, that were combined together, uh, the Roman festival and this Celtic um, festival. So the first day of these morphed festivals... um, that started usually in February, um, it gave, again, rest and peace to the dead. And the Romans had, for centuries, made sacrifices to honour their dead and said prayers for them. 
And by the time you get to the Christian Roman uh, world, about AD 800, um, without going into the full history of all of this, um, the popes got hold of this festival and tried to Christianise it. So Pope Boniface IV, he decided to designate this festival as All Saints Day and he changed the date to the 1st of November. And just like the Catholic Church has done down through the centuries and as you probably heard last week with Easter, they tried to commingle Christian beliefs with the pagan beliefs. And so All Saints Day became a time to honour the saints and the martyrs. And it is still believed that the Pope was trying to replace this Celtic festival of the dead with a church-sanctioned holiday uh, in an effort, obviously, to turn the Celts to Christianity. And the celebration became known as All Hallows or All Hallamummers. I think that's how you say it. Um, meaning All Saints Feast Day. And obviously over the centuries then, that eventually became Halloween. It's said as well about AD 1000, the Catholic Church then named the 2nd of November All Souls Day to honour the faithful, uh, faithfully departed. And it's during these All Saints Day and All Souls Day that the Catholics... Even today, it's a big deal um, in the Catholic Church, um, celebrate this festival. And they, obviously in the Catholic Church, they honour their saints and they um, put them on pedestals and they, they um, consult the saints during these days. If you've got a favourite saint, then you pray to them, asking for their blessing on you know, your, the coming year. Um, and it's quite popular, obviously, in Europe mostly, um, to have a favourite saint of your area and that saint will favour the area and you know bless that area with miracles and it's obviously quite important to look after your saint because they will look after you. So as you put all of these three festivals together that were celebrated at the same time, it sort of morphs into what we know today as Halloween and what the um, Catholics still celebrate today as All Saints Day. And there are obviously other traditions that came out of the Celtic um, part of this that modern, um, modernistic, materialistic uh, 21st century has caught hold on, such as the j carving of jack-o'-lanterns. I was going to bring a pumpkin here tonight, but they were too expensive at the shop we went to. So, um, so, yeah, there's obviously a lot of uh, traditions that go along with this that don't really have anything to do with even the Catholic um, slant on this festival. And obviously in other countries there are other versions of this festival, such as in Mexico uh, there are death-themed holidays, such as this one called the Day of the Dead in Mexico. And it's also, this festival coincides with All Souls Day and is blended into the Native American uh, traditions as well. And, you know, the Mexicans decorate their homes um, with the graves of their relatives with paper skeletons, set out food for wandering spirits in the same theme that the Celts did. 
You may have noticed from our title tonight, it does suggest that nothing that Halloween once was or has become has anything to do with the Bible. And that's what I am suggesting also now. And it must be recognised then that Halloween has pagan and Catholic origins, as we've seen. And its presence in the Catholic Church and its taintedness by the Catholic Church um, is primarily founded on the teaching of the immortality of the soul. And we know that the uh, pagan religions believed in some sort of immortality of their soul as it passed into an afterlife. And the Catholics, we know, also believe in the immortality of the soul, which helps them, obviously, um, keep these festivals. But we need to ask ourselves whether the Bible teaches the immortality of the soul. And obviously, as the name suggests, immortality of the soul suggests that if someone dies, their soul lives on as a spirit into the, and goes into the afterlife. And it's these spirits that are honoured and celebrated and feared and remembered at Halloween. We want to show first off tonight that the notion that the soul lives forever is not found in the Bible. And nor does God want us to commune with people who have died in the past. And as this celebration is primarily a dedication to the dead, we need to ask ourselves, does God want us to worship the dead? We read in Mark chapter 12, verse 27, that he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. So the question we want to answer tonight is, as Bible believers... Do we involve ourselves in the festivities of Halloween? Now, everyone came here tonight not knowing the connection between Halloween and the Bible, and I had no idea either. So I think we could be forgiven for getting involved in Halloween in times past. So if you want to leave now um, and keep your traditions of Halloween going strong, then you can. But I think when when we leave here tonight, if you do stay this question comes down to a matter of our conscience. Because if we choose to dress our kids up as ghosts to roam around the neighbourhood collecting lollies, just uh, as we might host, and I might eat cross-crot buns at Easter time, um, which hopefully we learnt from last week is not on, um, are we going to violate any laws of God by doing that? Well, No, if we go around dressed up as a skeleton and eat lollies, we're probably not going to violate any laws of God. But God has given us this to think about. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 15, I'll just read this section here. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So that seems pretty harsh, but what Paul is saying here is, does Halloween and its traditions and its history have anything to do with what 
God has given us in the Bible? Does it have any concord? Does it agree? If God is going to dwell in us, as it says here, that we are the temple of God, if God is going to dwell in, in, in us, then what is in us needs to agree with God. We are called here to be, verse 17 there, to be separate, to be holy. Now this might seem harsh, especially for such a seemingly harmless thing as Halloween. To be calling people that involve themselves infidel. If you involve yourself in Halloween, to be called an infidel or idolater or a son of Belial, it seems pretty harsh. However, at this celebration's heart is the core belief, as we said, that man has an immortal soul. And at its heart is the worshipping of dead people, seeking guidance from these dead people, seeking protection from these dead people. And the core belief that it all hinges on is if is what you believe happens when you die. Do you have an immortal soul? Now, if we start with the premise that we don't have an immortal soul, then when you die, you return to the dust from which you are made, and talking to the dead obviously would be pointless. And I believe the Bible is very clear on this point. In Ezekiel 18, verse 4, it says, Behold, all souls of mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, that clearly says that the soul dies. And hopefully you can take that sort of on face value tonight because you don't have time to deal completely with the the unimmortality of the soul or the mortality of the soul. But this was the fate that mankind was condemned to when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, sinned and they were sentenced to die in Genesis chapter 3 where this was their sentence. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. And we believe that all who have lived on this earth have faced this same fate, except one man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But although this is our fate, that does not mean that we live without hope. In fact, in verse 21 21 of Genesis chapter 3, God gave man a hope. He gave man a means of salvation. It says in verse 21 of Genesis 3, that unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. And that pointed forward to an act that God was going to help his son go through to provide a covering for the sins of mankind. And we're going to speak a bit more about that hope shortly. But simply, when we die, we remain in the ground, disintegrated into dust. Until the time, and this is part of the hope, until, as it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, 
some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now this event here is the resurrection. And no one has yet, since the foundation of the world, been raised from the dead without dying again, except for Jesus Christ. And of Christ, it says, in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. And it is through the work of Christ that the curse in Eden and the consequences of Adam's sin has been undone. It's not until Christ accomplished this that it was even possible for man to be given the opportunity of an immortal existence. And the mortality of man is his propensity to die and dissolve into dust, awaiting the time when he is resurrected, as we just read in Daniel 12. And that very notion puts to bed the fact that we could speak to dead people, let alone people going to heaven before they're resurrected from the dead. Christ alone dwells with the angels in heaven with God. Again, in Rome, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says that from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that washed, sorry, loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So I feel that from those few verses we can see that man is mortal, man goes into the dust and remains there until he is resurrected from the dead. There's no immortal soul. There's no place where man goes to be tormented. He goes into the dust until he's resurrected and judged. Now Christ, it says here, is the first begotten of the dead. He's the only one, the only man or woman from Adam's race that has been given eternal life. All others await that day of resurrection. So if Christ alone dwells with God in heaven, the saints that the churches pray to are still in the grave unable to hear them. It's only to God through Christ that we can pray and to make supplication. And we're given that specific direction in Philippians. In Philippians 4 verse 6, In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be known unto God. What's the point praying to a saint when you can pray directly to God? God never tells us in the Bible to pray to a person, even an immortal person for that matter, apart from God himself. And even when we pray to God, we pray through Jesus Christ. Again, in Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God. And a question to ask as well is, why would we want to ask a petition of a dead person anyway, when we can go direct to God? 
Now, there is one instance in the Bible where a man desired to speak to a dead man. Can anyone tell me where that is? Yes, thank you. So, Saul to the witch of Endor. So, if you come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28, because I think this story teaches us an important lesson about talking to dead people and why you might want to talk to a dead person. 1 Samuel 28, verse 4. It says there, And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. So Saul found himself in a really desperate situation here. He has a small army and he's facing a very large army of the Philistines. Verse 5, And Saul saw the host of the Philistines. He was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And verse 6, He tries his very hardest to get God to answer him. Verse 6, And Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor Urim, nor by prophets. Verse 7, And Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two other men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then lowest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then, the woman, then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me, for thou art Saul? And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending up out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And he said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said unto Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answered me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore have I called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? The Lord hath done to him as... He spake by me, The Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbour, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of Yahweh, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And Saul fell straightway all along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. 
and there was no strength in him, for he hath eaten no bread all the day and all the night. So that's a long section, but that's a very interesting story. Now we won't go into the ins and outs of whether this was a real vision or not. Insomuch as we will say that nothing this woman said to Saul in this exchange was new information. In fact, the words that the woman quotes here were well-known words that Samuel the prophet had spoken publicly. So then I ask you, why would someone go to anyone apart from God himself for help? Well, in Saul's case here, he goes to bring up this dead man's um, Samuel because his relationship with God was so weak that God would not answer him anymore. I think that's the point. When we have access to God through Christ now, why would we need to go to a dead person for help? Is it because our relationship with God is too weak? And God even warns against going to those sorry, against going to the dead for help. In Isaiah chapter eight, verse nineteen and twenty. When they say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto the wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And that, I feel this passage here really highlights the darkness of the event of Halloween. It's obvious the pagans sought to these spirits and devils. They had no understanding. But really what is really not understandable is why the Catholics would do the same thing. Why people that believe in God, that believe in an almighty creator that created everything, why they just wouldn't go to God for help. Now, the American Standard Version renders uh, this verse... And when they sound to you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto the wizards that chirp and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God on behalf of the living? Should they seek unto the dead? So it's evident then from this verse that God wants us to turn to him alone. And of course, when we may go out trick-or-treating, we're not practicing uh, what was done hundreds of years ago. We might not even be aligning ourselves with the Catholic worshipping of the saints. We might just be dressing up and having fun. And I don't want to deny you that. But we should also consider verse 20 of Isaiah 8. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Does associating with the custom borrowed from pagan worship of the dead show us living in godly ways. Is associating with that allowing God to live in us during that time? For God knows the history. We also now know the history, unfortunately for those who like Halloween. But God has given us this book, this Bible, as an instruction on how to live our life. Halloween is not biblical. It's not of the light. In fact, it is derived from the darkness. 
And we are warned here by the example of Saul. It's only when we have no, no longer have a relationship with God that we seek answers to life elsewhere. So I'll leave it to you and to your conscience whether Halloween is something that you want to get involved in. But we can be sure that it's not going to bring us closer to God. We're actually called to be separate from these things in our life. Come to 1 Peter chapter 1. God has called us to a new way of living. He has set a higher standard for us to live by. 1 Peter 1, and we'll just read here, Verse 15 to 19. But like as he who called you is holy, be ye yourselves also holy in all manner of living. Because it is written, ye shall be holy for I am holy. And if ye call on him as father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to each man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning in fear, knowing that ye were redeemed not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, from your vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood, as the lamb without spot, even the blood of Christ. So what Peter is emphasising here is that we need to be holy and separate in all manner of living, in every aspect of our life, We need to ask ourselves, would that include celebrating Halloween? This separation is from everything that is counter to what the Bible teaches. And we've obviously singled out Halloween tonight because it's not biblically based. But God obviously wants us to look across all aspects of our life. And this is what we've been called to, verse 15. And we will be judged according to all our works, according to his holiness. We want to conclude our lecture tonight, where we began in Colossians chapter 1. For this was Paul's desire for the Corinthian, sorry, the Colossian ecclesia. And this is our desire for you. We'll just um, pick up here in verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1. And we'll see some of the themes, hopefully, that we've covered tonight come out in this chapter. Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful to every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And it's okay, obviously, to be ignorant about Halloween. But it's not okay to be ignorant about the immortality of the soul. And it's obvious if you understand the truth of the Bible, you understand where our origins are, what the condemnation on mankind was, and what our hope is, that Halloween will have no relevance to you in your life. Verse 11, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience, long suffering with joyfulness. This is the life that God calls us to. 
giving thanks unto the Father. You don't give thanks to spirits, to saints, to people that have died. You give thanks directly to God for the things and the blessings that he's given you in life, which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's our hope. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. That is our hope. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That we might increase in the knowledge of God. This is what Paul is calling us to. That we might be delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his dear Son. That through the redemption, through his blood, we might accept this offer of the forgiveness of our sins. And this is what we call you to, friends. We call you to accept this offer. And it's the only way that we are given opportunity to directly speak to a divine being that has the power to change the circumstances of your life. Cultures in times past have sought for answers to life from their dead relatives. But we have been given the opportunity to speak directly with the Creator Himself. But God does require something of us. And that is to reflect upon our life, to acknowledge the truth contained in His Bible and to follow in the example of His Son. And as Paul encourages us, verse 15, His Son is in the image of God, the firstborn of every creature. And we also can be made in that image of God. We also can be made, not firstborn, but second, third, fourthborns. We can be given eternal life as Christ has. Verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Um, but, yeah, sorry, verse 16 of um, Colossians 1. Whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, talking about Christ, and by him all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the ecclesia, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 21, And by you that were sometime alienated by the enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which he hath heard, sorry, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. So Paul is saying here that God understands that we might not have understood some of these pagan traditions. He might 
He understands that we might not have known the truth in times past. But now that you have the truth, you have the truth in your grasp, then we have no excuse. He has made the way free through the work that he has performed through his son. And we are called upon here to take up the offer, to be partakers of the inheritance and to be translated into the kingdom of his son. And admittedly, this is a higher calling, but it has a great reward. So the question I leave you with tonight, do you want to be holy as God is holy? Or do you want to be ignorant, spending your time following the traditions of man's superstition? As it is written in 1 Peter 1 verse 16, and as we have up on the board up here, this is our calling, to be holy, for I am holy. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.